to DTC. This is LP here. We got FP and Steve. Say hello. What's up, guys? Happy hump day. Favorite day of the week. Holy Steve, shouldn't you be watching Nats baseball or something? I'm actually... There's more people on this podcast than at the Nats-Marlins game tonight. Uh, but obviously, we can't joke about that. There's a hurricane coming to Miami, but uh, Nats are up 3 nothing, top of the sixth. I can do both things, LP. So what, what's that? You're going to bring us down to magic number of seven? It'll six. be six. Yeah, we're on even numbers now. They'll be the first team to clinch, hopefully, next couple days. Let's talk about how FP is going to build up his Nats knowledge. Like I said, I really won't pay attention until the beginning of September. So we're getting there. Hey, you got three weeks, okay? Bryce has got yep. cornrows. That's all you need to okay. <laughs> Guys, it's, it's September 6th. We're, what, three days away from Redskins football, and we're here talking Nats. Can we, can we transition to skins a little bit here? I mean, I, I think that that's – on purpose, right? I mean, what do you think? I mean, are you are you really as excited uh, for this Sunday as you were four weeks ago? That, you bring up a good point, FP. We literally sat here four weeks ago, and we all predicted seven to ten wins. We had like one and a half injuries through preseason, and that's Trent Murphy out for the year. Sewer Cravens kind of injured and then decided to retire. We'll put him off to the side. What are the expectations now uh, I want to hear from each of you after the preseason. LP, LP, how, how are you going to put the guy off to the side? He retired. We're gonna He's we're gonna 22. get to him. We're gonna okay. get to him. Yeah, that's a that's a that, all I'm gonna I, say about that story is it's the most Redskins type story that yes. a football team could have. Only well, the Redskins could have this story. You know, yeah. the only the only more Redskins story is if you get gunned down at your home. Uh, during an injury uh, in, in Florida. Uh, yeah, and you're supposed exactly. to be a Hall of Fame safety. Are we cursed at safety, at the safety position? Yes. Somebody put a curse on the secondary. I, I mean, even D'Angelo, when he switched to safety, he, he just stopped. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and then uh, you got Adam Archuleta. Right. He's a curse in and of himself. Then you got Reed Dowdy. He he went deaf at safety. He was deaf before. <laughs> I, was, I, was a joke, right? I missed me some Reed Dowdy, man. He was a great run stopper. <laughs> Sorry, well, don't, LP, don't forget LP. Brandon Merriweather knocking people out concussions. But uh, let's talk about Suet. I guess what uh, are you guys pissed? Are you guys like sympathetic for him? What are the first thoughts that come to your head? Immaturity. I mean, is that immaturity? But but we're seeing that with more and more players who are deciding their health is more important than the game. And the yeah. sign quit. I mean, I so, know this is a macho, macho world, hyper masculine, whatever. But uh, FP, are you really pissed at him for making a decision about his life? I mean, I'm pissed I'm guy? pissed. I'm pissed at the whole story, and I'm pissed that it it really came to be as of this week because the reports are he felt this way at USC. He's been talking about this since last year. I mean, the beginning of this year, he was even mic'd up with uh, Compton saying stuff. I mean, the thing I'm pissed about is the Redskins saying, or Gruden saying, I had no idea that he wanted to retire, which I call BS on. And then 
the fact that the Redskins are trying to show compassion and do all this stuff to counteract the Scott McLuhan stuff and counteract the Kirk Cousins stuff and be like, take your time, figure it out, do what you need. But it's like, no, we're five days away from game one, week one, and you're going to drop this bombshell on us that changes everything for essentially a brand new defense. It's, it's mm-hmm. immature in the fact that it's like calling out a work 15 minutes before you're supposed to show up. Yeah, it's, it's something it, like that. But FP, I'm not you saying the help you can't side. say that they're trying to, to help them. Scott McLuhan situation It's completely different. They don't really have an option. The guy decided to retire. The Redskins tried to convince him not to retire. And then they said, all right, take a month off and let well, us know what I'm saying feel. is what I'm saying is but, if this were a Patriots, Belichick would have cut him, not cut him, but it would have given him the papers right then and there, made him sign and leave. And we can't afford to be cutthroat because of that's that's not stupidity. that's not how it is. No, that's yeah, not how it no. is. If that's we, not if how we, you see it happening all the time in the if league. If we weren't if we weren't cutthroat with this if we were cutthroat with him, sorry, if we were cutthroat with him, the 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 media would have a field day about our front office and Bruce Allen and you got rid of a high draft pick and you're just dropping him and you can't afford to do this, this and this and that. That's exactly what the media would do if we were cutthroat the way that we should be, honestly, to a player that 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 doesn't want to play anymore. That it, like, what's this thing that's been going around? If you think you're retiring, you're already retired. Why why string it along? You're not doing him any favors. You're not doing us any favors. FP, I will give you this one thing: is that the timing of it is the most annoying part of it. I mean, he retired the day after they cut the roster down to fifty-three. Exactly. I mean, that's awful. But expecting the organization to handle it in a better way, I, I, don't, I don't see what they could have done. I mean, you know how many times probably guys talk about retiring and it's just a bluff and then they go and they check their bank account and then they talk to their wives and, and, and whatever and they figure, you know what, well, I can't retire. I, he probably talked about this all the time and it was probably just, you know what, he's having a bad day or he's coming off an injury, he's emotional, it's whatever. You can't you're expecting them to drop him because he mentions the word retire. And I, I imagine, I wonder how many people they would be dropping now if they dropped everybody that well, talked about retiring. From my understanding, it wasn't talking about retiring. He went to the front office, said, I want to retire. And then they had to convince him not to. Meaning he he was ready to retire right then and there. If we said yes, he'd be gone. Right. Yeah, but 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 then th- this also goes way back because if you saw the CSN footage of Will Compton talking to him, where he's asking him about passion and what he's passionate about and calling him a tiger or whatever it is, and and Sua said something that was interesting. He said, "Pride before uh, pact." So he really was uh, um, playing for himself. It, it, it's like he, he cared about himself more than the team. But this is also something that the team couldn't have foreseen from before. I mean, right. but all like, I'm saying, you can't saying, blame the team. All I'm saying is, is to Steve's analogy about checking your bank account, talking to your wife, yada, yada. That's one thing. I said that, wives. Like, wives. Okay. Fair enough. But, um, that's, that's like, essentially it's everyone's at work. Everyone's like, man, this sucks. I just want to quit. I just exactly. want to retire. That's what you're saying. What I'm saying is he took that speech Went into his boss's office and was like, "Hey, I want to quit." Sure, I mean, but nobody think. does. Nobody does that. Only, FP. only, nobody you, goes to the boss and says, "Hey, I hate this place. I want to quit," or "Hey, I'm not happy here. I want to quit," and not, and, and then, and then be asked 
to, hey, just give us another chance. No, that never happens in the real world. Why would it happen in one of the most cutthroat businesses out there where players are seen as literally chess pieces and your board is literally so, mixing so, and matching. So, okay, FP, it's I'm just because he, he did it so late in the game. That's why FP. He put the Redskins in a corner situation where you have to have DeSager Everett play starting safety all of a sudden. Uh, that's that's the only reason why they're giving him an option to come back. If this would have happened at the end of last season, I think they would have so, said, all right, all take right. your time. We still own your rights because it's there's he's still under contract. You can go ahead and leave. So and on that, on that saying, back, we own your rights. On that saying... Let's say tomorrow he wakes up and he's like, man, I was crazy. I wasn't myself the past week. Forget everything I said. I have passion. I want to play. I want to be your guy. Do you trust him? Do you put him out on the field to do his required job? Would all you? The, all the Redskins would, players have said that they do. It seems like this team has leadership in there where they will accept him back. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Acceptance is, is whatever. It's about your performance on the field. If he comes back and he is uh, injured and, you know, hobbling on the field and what he was doing before, then, you know, what does it matter if he's accepted or not? A if, guy he comes back, if he comes back and balls out, then he will be accepted. What, but he's not going to ball. A guy that's contemplating retirement isn't going to sprint halfway across the field to make a touch touchdown-saving tackle and sacrifice his body. He's not going to do it. It's not – especially the safety position. You're literally supposed the last line of defense – you should be running around. You should make. You should be making the huge hits. I mean, you got Sean Taylor as the example. You, you're out there to hit people. And if you're contemplating retirement already, and you're what he's what 21, 22 years old, it you're not going to all of a sudden flip a switch and and start balling out. It's not going to happen. Okay, and you're FP, you're prolonging this. I think uh, what it really boils down to is you don't treat the 53rd man on the roster the same way you treat a second round. Uh, starter and so you're right if the 53rd man on the roster said you know what i think i want to retire and protect my my brain and my body they'd say you know what we could actually use the roster spot goodbye but your second round draft pick who's going to be your prized you know starting free safety you have to do everything in your power to convince him to come back and you have to trust him when he gets back on the field so it's it's I don't know. You're expecting you're expecting them to cut him. Um, no, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know what I'm expecting. That's what makes this such a redskin story. But that's what um, I think is the best case scenario. What just took place is Bruce Allen or whoever. Bruce Allen, the Mister Politician, convincing him, say, "Hey, take a month off. Go to my beach house in Santa Monica that I paid seven million dollars for, <laughs> and go hang out and come back. Let's talk in two weeks." Hopefully, you know, he's thinking maybe they get off to a hot start. They, you know, are two and two, three and one even out of the gates. And he says, hey, so, uh, you know, the, we need you back. And, and you can have an impact and blah, blah, blah. Bruce thinks he can convince anyone of anything. So that's got to be the best case scenario right now is Sue takes some time off. And the best thing is if he realizes he doesn't have money. That's, to well, be honest, is the biggest. Yeah, I, that's that's going to be the driving factor for everything is, is the salary. It seems like you guys are wanting him to come back. Of course you want him to come back. He is a force. He is a, a pure athlete. No, of FP, course you want him you're, you're talking about You're talking about potential here with him. I mean, other than outside of the Giants game last year, what really has he done? I mean, you the can sh- look at the his... The Chaser ever had an interception, by the way, against the Eagles last year. Like, So compare the two. What really has he done? We're, we're basing it on our fanhood and on our him being a second-round pick and, and our desire for him to be the next Sean Taylor 
That's what I'm basing I mean, off. I'm basing this off two things. I mean, I as little college football as I really pay attention to, I do know that he was a force on USC. And more importantly is me and Khalifa. When was the last time USC was in a, in, a, in a significant bowl game? When Pete Carroll and Reggie Bush were cheating. That's regardless. But what I'm saying is. Amazing. <laughs> I actually didn't know the answer to that, but I'm sure it hasn't been a long time. It's been a long time. I'm pretty sure I, my answer is correct. You said significant bowl game, right? Not just like a fluff bowl game. I mean, this is every team make a bowl game? Isn't that how college football works? Just to remind myself, this is Pete Carroll, the guy who thinks 9-11 wasn't in. <laughs> I just want to confirm. That's the <laughs> yes, that would be the same one, yes. Good. We got to get Joe on here to talk about uh, what he thinks of Pete Carroll and his liberal bias. <laughs> <laughs> Back to my question. Does preseason uh, um, adjust your expectations for this team all-inclusive preseason with the sewer cravens with the trent murphy injury with everybody else staying healthy with josh doxson playing you know four snaps in in one game and sitting out the other three with Terrell Pryor not being able to catch a ball are your preseason expectations adjusted um yeah uh i mean i think they're lowered yeah i think i did I didn't see a team, I didn't see a, a, a group of people that were put on the field that can win seven games. So you said, I can't remember my prediction, but I think it was probably seven to nine uh, initially. I didn't see a team that can win seven games. I didn't see an offense that has the firepower and capability to put up points that can win you seven games. And I certainly didn't see a defense that had any playmaking ability, had any consistent pressure on the quarterback, had any great uh, you know, coverage uh that can hang with Dallas, New York, and least of all, Philly. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's on a seven-win team. That's a five-win team uh, if a lot of stuff falls right with them. Wow. Five, th- five, five wins, wins if everything falls right. Wow. Yeah. So that's what, a bad what, team. What does that mean? Uh, Gruden's going to be fired? What, what does that mean? No, Just no, no. no. I, another rebuilding year? Yeah, I think Gruden's safe. I think uh, – you know, this season's all about Kirk Cousins. Right. I think no matter if they're a five-win team or a 14-win team, the season is all about Kirk Cousins because, to be honest, the future of this team is completely in his hands. If you're a five-win team, the future of the team is still rests on his long-term deal and whether or not that gets done. If you're a 14-win team, clearly he balled out, and the future of the team certainly rests on keeping him around. So. This season, the only storyline that matters here in D.C. is Kirk Cousins. Everything else is nonsense. Terrell Pryor, uh, all these new faces on the defense, Jonathan Allen, Ryan Anderson, Josh Norman, all of it. Doesn't FP, matter. rapid fire. Is this team better or worse after preseason? Worse. All right, there you have it. One, one bullet gun there? <laughs> yeah, that's it, that's it. We got to take a quick break. After this, we'll be joined by Cody Benjamin from Bleeding Green Nation. Welcome back into DTC. Joining us on the HMG hotline, we have Cody Benjamin coming from uh, Bleeding Green Nation. Thanks for joining us, Cody. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad that you guys are uh, willing to endorse somebody who uh, covers the Eagles or follows the Eagles here on your show. Just for one week. Yeah. Don't Maybe get used one, to it. And another week later on in the season, but 
That all depends on how uh, the Sunday goes. Yeah. So, uh, so Cody, we um, we wanted to talk kind of everything Eagles, but I'm I'm gonna just kind of jump in with the obvious one with uh, Carson Wentz. Um, all the fans here in the DMV, they're expecting him to take a big step forward. Uh, national media, what well, they they keep saying he's like the second coming of Ben Roethlisberger. He's gonna show up and and become a, a top tier quarterback. What do you think? And I mean, I didn't watch any preseason games really, but what do, what do you think? What are you really expecting from him this year? What what are the the true Philly fans expecting? Yeah, I think there's definitely a belief that he is the franchise guy. Um, I think there's three things that he has that you really can't teach, and and that's athleticism, size, and poise. And he he obviously, you know, we see the physical attributes, and then he definitely had a lot of poise as a rookie last year. Um, his stats. Um, definitely tailed off towards the uh, the second half of the season. His mechanics were a little bit questionable, but that was one of the things that he worked on this off season. And, and the bigger thing more than his, his own mechanics was he didn't have a whole lot of help around him. I mean, the offensive line, they were missing Lane Johnson um, for most of the season. The wide receivers, you know, a lot of those guys they had starting wouldn't have even been number twos or number threes on other teams. And so they completely redid the wide receiver core. Um, the offensive line is cohesive, is ready to go this off, this year. And Carson Wentz apparently worked on the mechanics, but but he does have those things you can't teach. And, and I think that's what most excites the Eagles fans. And it's just a matter of executing now. I mean, because they put the pieces around him and, you know, we'll see how they all fare together. But I, I'd say there's, there's no doubt um, in a lot of Philadelphia fans' minds that, that this guy is the guy at quarterback. Well, well, that's interesting that you mentioned, you know, they put the pieces around him because the focus that I've been thinking about kind of this week getting ready for, for week one is that wide receiving core, you know, a position in Philly that's really uh, just been in flux for several years. I mean, you guys obviously had Deshaun and, and you know, we thank you for his services for a couple of years. And then, uh, you know, you let, let him go and you got Jeremy Macklin uh, go and then and he goes to Kansas City. And, and then, of course, last year you had, you know, Jordan Matthews, who you know, for the past couple of years, he's put up some great numbers. You know, he's catching around, you know, 70 to 80 balls a year, you know, eight touchdowns. Um, so obviously you trade him to Buffalo along with the third round pick, which is a significant uh, draft pick right there. And then you kind of totally overhaul this wide receiving core. You bring in a huge signing, one of the bigger signings in the offseason of Alshon Jeffrey. And then you put him with Torrey Smith. And then, of course, your first rounder, uh, Nelson Aguilar. So w- what realistically can we expect from this wide receiving core obviously you know you got some big strong receivers there but have we seen the chemistry uh, between Wentz and these new guys I mean that's something that was struggling here in DC seeing Cousins and, and Terrell Pryor and Doxson uh, really gain some chemistry w- what are you seeing up in Philly with this new wide receiving core and what can you really expect from them in year one yeah, it's kind of a boomer bust situation um, I think it's definitely a lot more favorable than it was and, and I was more so than a lot of people, was a fan of Jordan Matthews. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's not a number one guy. He's not necessarily explosive in any way, but he, he's definitely, you know, he gives you more than you could ask for as a number two, number three, kind of out of the slot kind of guy. And so he's gone, like you said, a lot of new faces. I'm pretty sure Nelson Aguilar is the only receiver left from um, last year's depth chart. And so, and you wouldn't even figure that he would be the one left over, but Mm-hmm. it's um as far as the chemistry goes i mean that's something that you just you really have to see when the games get going i mean preseason you get a few snaps here and there together i mean wentz was able to connect with jeffrey a few times he he hit jeffrey and tory smith for touchdowns but 
really you're not going to see this until the regular season gets going and obviously it is a big question mark the chemistry um but i'd say you know when it's a boomer bust it's it's definitely a lot better than it was um because you really didn't have much of a boom at all with the last receiving core and so Torrey Smith, you know, poor numbers in San Francisco, but they're hoping that even if he's just a one-trick pony, somebody who can be a decoy and take, you know, some targets uh, or take some guys away from where Alshon Jeffrey and Zach Ertz uh, are going out for passes, I mean, he'll he'll have done his job. So uh, it's an interesting situation because, you know, next year we could be talking at this time and and the receiving core could look completely different again because Alshon Jeffrey's on a one-year deal. Torrey Smith is essentially on a one-year deal. Um, but I, there's a lot of potential and, and, you know, if you're an Eagles fan, I think you just got to be absolutely ecstatic with the fact that Carson Wentz has somebody that he can throw to that you can trust to catch the ball. Yeah. So the Jordan Matthews trade, was it more of a, the Eagles brass was not high on Jordan Matthews or was it, we really need a cornerback in here and, you know, kind of, we've seen the revolving door of quarterbacks in the Eagles secondary. Um, which, which of the two was that? That's a good question. I, I think it's maybe it's a cop out to say it's a mixture of both, but I, I definitely think it was a mixture of both. I'd say I'd lean more towards they need a cornerback. Um, but the fact that Jordan Matthews was going to be a free agent after this season, um, a lot of people were talking about, you know, the people who were trying to almost usher him out the door um, were saying, well, we're not going to pay him $10 million a year after the season anyway, so we might as well try and get something for him. And again, I was one of those people who thought, you know, Jordan Matthews is the kind of guy you want on your football team and in your locker room. Um, But evidently they felt he was expendable. I mean, um, but I think that it shows that maybe it sways a little bit more towards we need a cornerback in the fact that they threw a third round pick in there as well. Um, You know, I think they understand going into the season, you know, in the draft by taking a guy like Sidney Jones, who's not guaranteed to play at all this season, um, they know that this this secondary is a long-term building project. Um, but when you add pieces like Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith and LeGarrette Blunt, you're adding pieces to a team that you hope is going to make a playoff run. And so obviously when you're going into a season with Patrick Robinson and Jalen Mills, who is decent, um, but there's just so many question marks at corner, they needed to get somebody. And, and frankly, a little surprising that they were able to get somebody of Darby's character or caliber, excuse me, uh, that late into the offseason. But, but yeah, I would say a little bit more towards they just needed cornerback help. Yeah, but, th- but they definitely gave up a lot there to get him. Well, yeah, in my opinion. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. yeah, especially with the, with the risk. I mean, if you're looking for a sure thing at wide receiver, Jordan Matthews is it. Um, he's not, again, none of the players they had at wide receiver last year were necessarily explosive guys, but you knew what you were getting with Jordan Matthews, and so – um, it is though, if, if Ronald Darby works out, the trade makes sense for the Eagles. I mean, he's so young, this guy could be a starter for the next eight, nine years if, if he pans out. And so, um, you pair that with Sidney Jones and maybe a Razul Douglas, who they also brought in and you got a secondary for once, um, which the Eagles have struggled to put together. Yeah. Kind of pivoting to, uh, this week's, uh, game against the Redskins here at FedEx field in Maryland. Uh, Doug Peterson has kind of been insisting on, you know, going week by week determination of the rotation at running back. Um, what does that really mean, and what can we expect? Who do we expect to get the bulk of the carries this week? Yeah, it kind of reminds me, maybe not in a good way, of when Chip Kelly was the coach and um, Demarco Murray. They brought in obviously big name there at running back, and at some point during Demarco Murray's uh, season with the Eagles. 
they kind of went to a rotation where we didn't know if it was Ryan Matthews or Darren Sproles or, and Darren Sproles is probably the most sure thing at running back, but the fact that he's, you know, he's a smaller guy, you're not going to get, um, he's not going to be your every down back. And so what does it mean? I think you see a similar thing in Kansas city where Peterson came from and where Andy Reid is at, you know, a lot of guys rotating there at running back. And so, they brought in LeGarrette Blunt, I don't think, to be their 1,000-yard rusher. I mean, they brought him in, I think, for those, no matter what he says, um, their goal line, their short yardage back. Um, and so Wendell Smallwood has been banged up a lot, but he also got talked up a lot for a good training camp. And so if you're looking for somebody to take the bulk of the carries, if he's healthy, it should be Wendell Smallwood with Darren Sproles mixed in um, as a big option out of the backfield. So it. If you're looking for a, one of the bigger question marks, it's definitely at running back, even though there's there's a couple of intriguing names there. Um, they're deciding to keep five on the active roster, um, which is a lot. And um, so I think that, that itself tells you that they don't know what's going to happen at running back this season. Yeah, if it's um, anything like last year, you'll be able to run right up the Redskins' gut. But Yeah, ho- hopefully you, that You never know. Happen. I mean, hey. Maybe they'll decide they're they're starting back just from playing Washington this week. I don't know. So um, I I hate this question, um, but what what would you consider to be the X factor of of the Eagles team this year? Uh, with all the, I mean, you guys are kind of in our same boat where there's so many new pieces going on, uh, and your coach is is a little less experienced than ours. So even you can even throw Peterson in there, but. What do you think your biggest X factor is to, to really give the Eagles their biggest chance this year to kind of transition back to where they typically were a, a while back? Um, I mean, it, there's so many factors you could throw out there. I mean, from the receiving core gelling to, you know, Carson Wentz taking the next step. But the first thing that comes to mind for me is the offensive line. Um, you know, everyone likes to overlook what's happening in the trenches until, you know, it's biting them um, each week. So, I think you could see last year when Lane Johnson came back at right tackle. I mean, when he came back, the offensive line just looked a whole lot different. I mean, they were getting pushed in every aspect. And so, um, you know, a lot of the, the blame last year for the offensive struggles for the Eagles comes here, came from the wide receivers um, and obviously a little bit of a regression from once late in the year. But it starts up front. I mean, it always starts up front. And I know it's not the sexy pick to talk about the offensive linemen, but I think if they give Carson Wentz time, you know, he'll make the plays, and I think he'll be able to find his receivers. So lots of things you could talk about on the, the defense because there's a lot of moving parts there, but I would go with the offensive line. Cody, is um, Lane Johnson going to fight Zach Brown on Sunday? <laughs> well, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? I, did, I'm, I missed the I said, part. Is, is Lane Johnson going to fight Zach Brown on Sunday? Is it, is it going to go to blows between those two? You know, I... <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's going to come to that point. I, I certainly wouldn't be uh, surprised if there are a couple, you know, back and forth shows. I mean, we've had. I'm trying to think. You know, Washington. Everyone must, likes to talk about Eagles and Cowboys, and I don't know what it is from a Redskins perspective. What the biggest? You know, who do you guys consider? Let me ask you. Who do you consider? You know, from a Washington perspective, who is the, the team that drives you the nuts the most? It's definitely all the Cowboys. It's the, no, literally, it's definitely the Cowboys. Okay. I, it's literally it's all of Dallas. them. To me, I like this Lane Johnson and Zach Brown beef because it, it, to me it feels like it's re-energizing the, the Eagles-Skins rivalry because it's kind of died off well, in the past five years or a couple years. Yeah, and I'm glad that we can all agree on Dallas, or most of us. But, you know, I even wrote a story this, this, off season, or this off season, yeah, about how sometimes when you're watching a rival team, 
you know, as much as you hate to see, you know, a Tony Romo or years ago, a Donovan McNabb do well, you know, it almost makes the rivalry more enjoyable or more in, intense or, or satisfactory when you beat that team if they've got guys and teams that are relevant. I mean, nobody's, you know, you don't care if you're playing a, an awful Eagles team as much. But basically, um, I think Washington and the Eagles have had a little bit of a, a beat. I mean, we saw the Chris Baker hit on Nick Foles a few years ago. That kind of got Jason Peters fired up. I mean, Deshaun, when he was on the Eagles and the Redskins, you know, he would always, I remember him giving Nate Allen and Malcolm Jenkins a shove here and there. Jordan Reed was in on a few, you know, just yeah. patty cake, you know, stuff. But it's fun to watch. And I think, uh, I don't know if Wayne Johnson will be the one, but I'm sure there'll be a couple pushes and shoves. Well, and, you know, I, I think well, it'll be fun if they do. Well, we'll have plenty of PED signs in the crowd, okay, just for Lane Johnson, okay? We'll, we'll make sure uh, we got that taken care of. But let me, let me ask you on, on a serious note. Um, we've been talking a lot about the Eagles, okay? This is – I got to go take a shower after this is done. Um, let's talk about the Redskins. I like to get an outsider's perspective on the Redskins. Who scares you on Sunday uh, from both an offense – I don't think anyone scares you on the defensive side and nobody really should scare you on the defensive side, but who scares you on both sides of the ball? If you had to name a one guy on each side of the ball. That's a great question. Um, you know, it's funny. Kirk cousins has had a lot of good games against the Eagles. And I think that, you know, a lot of Eagles fans, a lot of NFC East fans. I mean, they never like to really admit that other quarterbacks in the NFC. East are that great. Um, but the Eagles fans have had probably a tough time. You know, they'll point to Kirk Cousins. He doesn't have a great record against, you know, winning teams or blah, blah, blah. But, you know, he's had some nice games against the Eagles, or I should say at least some nice finishes against the Eagles. I mean, the Redskins have owned the Eagles lately. And uh, a lot of it has come, you know, because of Kirk Cousins' play. So if it's not Cousins, I would say maybe Terrell Pryor, only because um, the Eagles got a taste of him in the opener last year. And he's a big guy. I mean, he kind of he got past um, their corners last year. And, again, the Eagles aren't working with necessarily a, a great set of cornerbacks. And so the fact that he's just a big guy, um, I certainly think that he poses a threat. I mean, Jordan Reed always a threat in the middle as well. Um, well, that, that, you know, defense, that's interesting. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm gonna, I just because that's interesting you mentioned TP because there's a lot of talk here in D.C. that they haven't really unleashed. And, of course, they always say that every time they suck in the preseason – they say we haven't unleashed him, but they haven't really tried to go over the top of defenses with him. It'll be, I think it's going to be interesting on Sunday if they take a deep shot early uh, with Pryor just to see what they got. I mean, you, you got a horse that you haven't really tested. So, uh, you know, sorry for cutting you off, but I think it's interesting. No, uh, no yeah, I agree. And I, to be honest, I mean, you could throw Jamison Crowder in there too. I mean, I think he had some great games against the Eagles. I mean, hauled in a lot of catches and, you know, a good possession guy where I'm, I'm really not sure what the Eagles secondary is going to look like. I mean, the cornerbacks are surrounded with some, some good talent. I mean, the safeties are good for the Eagles, the linebackers. I mean, Jordan Hicks, very underrated playmaker. Um, so I think that, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to look, but I, I could certainly see a Jordan Reader, a Jamison Crowder going off in the middle. Um, as far as defensively, I mean, Again, you know, the X factor talking about the Eagles offensive line, I would just say anyone that's going to put up a pass rush for the Redskins. I mean, if, you, if they're going to get in the face of Carson Wentz, you know, they could force him to make mistakes. And I think that they, uh, that was one of the reasons Washington was able to close out the games last year was, was getting pressure on Carson Wentz and, and forcing turnovers. So 
Um, I'm definitely looking towards the offense, though. I mean, I see any of those guys, Kirk Cousins, Jamison Crowder, I mean, Terrell Pryor. I, the Redskins' offense is, is pretty potent if they put it together. So um, a lot of guys to watch on that side of the ball. Yeah, I'm really surprised you didn't mention uh, Ryan Kerrigan there because if you remember, um, I think oh, in both games last the, year. The strip sack. The strip sack. And then also, I think it was the first game that Lane Johnson was um, suspended for, and I think Kerrigan had like four or five sacks. I mean, oh, yeah. I think he, went he off surpassed his, his yearly total just in that one game. <laughs> it seems like he is just one of those guys who just always has a good game against Philly. Um, so, yeah. well, and again, to that point, that is, is the O-line going to be better? Uh, for the Eagles, uh, it's a good question. Um, Lane Johnson should certainly be better than the right tackles they were wheeling out last year. I think Brandon Brooks is a is a very solid at right guard. Jason Kelsey, I mean, very athletic in space, but if you've got a big guy in front of him, he can be pushed around. Um, at left tackle, Jason Peters, you know, we know that for years he's been a perennial pro bowler. More so nowadays, he's kind of getting those that all-star recognition because of his name. Um, he, you know, he had a great year last year, I think, for his age. But it's always going to be a question mark until Jason Peters has done whether, you know, how much he's got left in the tank. And so certainly a, a guy to look out for. You know, we we don't know how, how, how much longer Jason Peters has to go here. But for now, I mean, I'd say just because the fact that they're all playing together, they're not going to be, you know, mixing and matching again. I think that, yeah, they lean a little bit towards better. But I'm I'm not going out of the way to say – the Dallas's offensive line right now. Yeah. So let's go back to receivers for a minute here. Alshon Jeffrey, what do you think um, are proper expectations that, that we can see out of out of him coming in a new offense, you know, with a, a new team, a new quarterback, um, you know, kind of had up and down years? Um, I mean, it should be easy. It should be as easy as asking, is he going to break or over or under for a thousand yards, right? Sure. Um, if he's healthy, then I say absolutely he, he goes over that. Um, I think that as the year goes on, you know, hopefully that you'll see that chemistry between him and Wentz. Um, I think the biggest thing with him, and, I, and I've heard that, you know, Jay Gruden didn't commit to saying that, that Josh Norman's going to shadow him, but that's pretty much the expectation. Um, and when he was playing with the Bears last year, I'm pretty sure you guys might know better than I do, but the tape showed that Alshon Jeffrey did, you know, he did win some of those balls. And some of those balls that he won are ones where the quarterback just throws it up. And that's something that Carson Wentz didn't have last year, a guy he could throw it up to and is able to use his body to make the catch. Um, and so if Jeffrey is healthy, you know, I don't see why he doesn't get plenty of targets, especially in the red zone. And that's, that's the main thing. I think he's going to get the targets and he's shown that he can bring the ball down. It's just a matter of durability with him. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, if you're talking season long, I'd say, yeah, my expectations are he would be a thousand yard receiver um, this week. I certainly think um, it's going to be interesting to see if Norman's matched up on him, what they do with, with Torrey Smith and Aguilar out of the slot. Well, b- based off that answer, I mean, it- it's definitely going to be interesting to see that matchup. Um, but I guess it, it goes right now. Uh, one last question for you is, is what do you really think the, the outcome is going to be on Sunday? Give me score, efficiency, whatever it is you really want to talk about, about the, the, that outcome. Oh, man. I mean, I, I'm sure you guys are probably all picking uh, 
picking one side and I'm going to pick the other here. It always comes down to got a little bit of bias injected into it. But yeah, the the question I, is how how close is each side really? Like, are, are we going to think it's going to be the same in a, a a toss of a field goal, or are we are you predicting blowout and we're not? That's that's the question there. Yeah, I, I would say no. I'm not predicting blowout, and I, it's mainly because there's just way too many unknowns here. Um, I would say it's going to be a close game. Obviously, I, I'm thinking that because of the offensive improvements um, and just the Eagles' knack for turnovers, even though they, they give up a lot of big plays on defense, I would lean Eagles, but Washington has given them a very tough time. Um, Kirk Cousins has – and it's not like the secondary, the Eagles, obviously, with Darby in there. There's some talent in there. There's some playmaking potential. But, again, uh, Washington has – you know, this isn't – this isn't a slouch team against the Eagles. And so, especially in Washington, it's certainly not going to be a, a tough week one victory. So I would say if you're looking for, you know, how close are these teams, I'd say pretty close, especially if we're just talking week one. But I, I bet we can both agree that uh, I think it's going to be an ugly game. I think uh, always in the beginning of the season, defenses are ahead of offenses, especially with these two teams with such turnover at the wide receiver position uh, for both of these teams. So I expect an ugly game, and uh, you know I think you're assuming I'm picking the Redskins, but all of us here we're picking a five, <laughs> six win season, so uh, I don't think this is one of those wins. Uh, you know, it's definitely not, hard to pick the we're, Redskins. We're not high, yeah, we're not high on this team after uh, preseason training camp. So uh, we actually huh. just that, adjusted our preseason. We actually just adjusted our picks because of how awful the preseason was early on this podcast. I think but, we are, are watching the two worst teams in the NFC East play on Sunday. Really? I was going to ask you that. Yeah, who do you, who do you take it that's going to win the East? Uh, to be honest, I think the favorites right now are the Giants. Um, and uh, see, Dallas is, you know, I just wrote a really long, it hasn't come out yet, a story for CBS about the Cowboys and how, a lot of those times where the Cowboys had rattle off some big season, you know, they go 13-3, they 12-4. Lately in the past 10 or so years, I mean, they've always followed up a year like that with missing the playoffs, just completely, just tank, you know, not, not completely awful, but their record goes way down. And so I think that Dallas has got a lot of, um, they set the bar pretty high with the rookie performances last year, and that's going to be hard to top, especially if Ezekiel Elliott is out six games. Um, so I, I think the Giants certainly have an edge. They got somehow they made a free agency splurge work on defense. Um, the Giants look pretty good if they can help out Eli Manning. And so, uh, to me, and again, you know, bias or not, whatever, I, I look at it like kind of a uh, Giants up top, Eagles, Cowboys, and Redskins kind of all fighting for that that next spot. But I, I certainly think Dallas is on the downward trend this uh, this uh, season and. You know, you guys got to touch on Washington there. I mean, we'll see week one, but, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting. I, I, NFC East, what has it been? How many years now it's gone a new division winner every year? So, yeah, it's really there. hard to predict a division. It's really hard to predict the, the Redskins. Horrible preseason, but they have the talent. They've, you know, upgraded almost on every position on defense, but it's just it's too hard to predict. Well, I but, mean, uh, hey, I mean, preseason you can get some indication, but don't, you know, I hope you guys aren't just, you know, I'm sure you're not, but you never want to just hang your hats right on the preseason. I mean, we've seen, you know, you've um, seen the I teams mean, go undefeated in the preseason. And then I don't know the about, season. I don't know about LP and uh, Stevie there, but I, I don't think we're going to be a, a five-one team. And I definitely think 
we're gonna whoop some eagle eagle tail on Sunday. I think the five wins is a little sarcastic, but we're really hanging our hats on history and being being fans of this team for so many years. <laughs> Hence the name. Yeah, they put daggers in in our hearts time and time again, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Uh, you never know. I mean, maybe I, I don't want to stretch this out too far, but I, I'm interested to hear your guys' opinion on Kirk Cousins. I mean, I I've done you know I've had plenty of discussions just this off season about you know what what is his value? Is he? I don't know if you want to go into is he elite or not, but you know I don't understand the Redskins. I feel like and cut me off if I'm taking you too far. Redskins by not locking him up. You know, to me, they're saying, well, we don't want to commit to you, but by the, at the end of the day, if we let you walk, we're going to have paid you like we committed to you anyway. I yeah. think I think we've for had us, many podcasts on it. Yeah, I think I think for us right now, it gets to the point where this season, I mean, Steve was saying it at the start of this podcast, the whole season, the only headline will be Kirk. And if we are a five win team or if we're a north of 10 win team, um, that kind of seals it for us because that shows you how much we really do need him. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think it's been it's been said many many times that it should have been done. We've all said that it should have been done early, but at this point, I mean, it, th- that horse is beyond dead. So uh, I mean, we we definitely think. We're, I mean, all all we can do right now is just kind of look at the season and hope that he doesn't suck and that he finds his chemistry with TP and and Dachshund, So. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're all high on him. We all think that the Redskins brass completely botched this. Uh, the Scott McLuhan, the GM firing, was completely botched. It's just part of being a Redskins fan and, and part of being in this market here is is that your owner yeah, botches I mean, pretty much anything he touches. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, I, I could justify. You know, I could see where they could justify holding off on saying. We're not sure we want to pay you like one of these elite quarterbacks, but then you got to move on, or you got to you got to you know bring some more guys in that you want to compete to be the starting quarterback, not just continue. I mean, if they tag him again next year, what is that like? Isn't it in the closer to thirty million or over thirty million? I don't think a tag the, happens the, next year. The I think transition the tag is twenty-seven. I think the franchise is going to be thirty, thirty-two, something like that. Yeah, the, and, and the Redskins point, are painted in a corner. They don't have a choice. Yeah, that's see, but yeah, to me, that's just like you're refusing to to give in to necessarily a long term deal, and and maybe Kirk Cousins has a part in this too, not not you know taking the step to commit or something, but by paying him like this, you know, year after year, you're essentially paying him to be your quarterback anyway. But hey, I mean, I I understand your guys are paying. I mean, he he's put up some good numbers, and I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens this season for sure. The, I mean, Cody, you're you're. You're talking about so we're simple people here. We're just trying to get through another week without a safety retiring on us, okay? Without a 22-year-old uh, <laughs> walking away from the field here. So uh, if Kirk doesn't retire by the end of the season, we'll be in good shape. <laughs> Speaking of quarterbacks, I'm gonna let you out on this. The Nate Sudfeld signing was was kind of awkward a little bit. It's a Mike Shanahan move. He used to do that all the time. Is he there long term? I. No, I mean, I, if you're talking long-term, I think maybe he sticks on the practice squad for the whole season. I mean, the Eagles, uh, they, had, a uh, another, they had another rookie, Dane Evans, all, all of camp and preseason. And, and so obviously this, this comes off like they're just trying to get a little bit of an in on the playbook 
But, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he sticks around for the rest of the season. I mean, why not? They're playing Washington again. Um, and then I'm sure their other, the guy they kept in camp, you know, he's a phone call away on the free agent market. So, long term, I, you know, I don't know if I would say that. I would say this season, sure. But, yeah, I, I don't but know. not a one-week thing. No, I mean, no. I, I mean, it could be, but I, I wouldn't be surprised either way. I mean, it's not going to – I don't think the Eagles view this guy as somebody they're bringing in to develop as the future number two quarterback. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you have the Eagles winning. You have the Giants winning the NFC East. You have uh, um, Carson Wentz taking a step up. That's good stuff. Well, Cody, thanks for joining us on the HMG Hotline. For all our listeners out there, be sure to follow Cody on all his work on BleedingGreenNation.com, CBS Sports, on Twitter. Um, great stuff. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks, yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it, and, and best wishes uh, for the year. Enjoy the game this Sunday. You too. Enjoy, man. You too. All right, thanks a lot. Thanks to Cody for joining us on the DTC hotline for our preview of the, the Eagles. Make sure to catch us on all social media, on our website at defeatingthecurse.com, on Twitter at DefeatTheCurse, on Instagram at DefeatingTheCurse. And um, let's go, Skins. Let's get a win this Sunday. Hell yeah. Let's do it, guys. We are out.